ever gotten to the end of a movie and thought to yourself, what was that all about? What was, what was that for? You know, it's not a huge deal if we don't fully understand why a movie was created or what the moral of the story in a movie or a book is. A, but maybe you've had that same circumstance with a story that you've heard from the scriptures or heard about or read in the scriptures and you get through to the end and you're like, what, why is that here? <laughs> What's that supposed to mean for me? Well, fortunately for you, we find ourselves in this series entitled Under the Radar. And in this series, we're going through and exploring some character studies of some of the most obscure characters in the scriptures. But all along the way, throughout this series, we're not just exploring the characters and learning how God works in the lives of these obscure people, but we're also exploring some of the principles of interpreting narrative in the scripture. And there's a few uh, stories and characters that we're going to see from prophetic books as well. But all along the way, we want to learn the principles of understanding how do we apply these different genres to our lives. And this week, we continue that series under the radar in First in Samuel chapter 25. And there's a story there. I'd encourage you to turn there in your Bibles with me and follow along. But before we do that, I just want to pray. Settle our hearts before God. Would you pray with me? Father God, Lord, I ask that you would give us tender hearts, soft hearts to your leading, to your guiding. Help us to understand the truths and the principles that you want to, to, to weave into, the, into our hearts so that we would be transformed and we would begin to live more and more like you would have us to live with your, in your way, with your heart. Give us humility, ears to hear, eyes to see, we ask in your beautiful, matchless name. You know, it was an extremely difficult season of life. I'm not talking about a few minor setbacks. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking about emotionally exhausting. I'm talking about physically exhausting. I'm talking about completely life-threatening. And to add insult to injury, he just heard that he'd lost one of his mentors, one of his, one of his guides in life. All of Israel gathered to mourn the loss of Samuel this man who had been maybe the only authority figure in David's life who'd ever acknowledged him as valuable. <laughs> and now he was gone. But David didn't have time to linger in his grief. No, 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 because you see, David was a man on the run. He found himself out in the wilderness, constantly going from place to place, hiding from King Saul, who was leveraging all of his military authority and might to hunt him down like a dog. And so, yes, David was mourning the loss of Samuel, his guide, his mentor, the, the representative of the voice of God in Israel. But he had to break camp again and move on and hide and seek refuge 
1 Samuel 25, verse 2 says this, they broke camp and they, they went to the, the wilderness of Paran. And verse 2, it says, and there was a man in Maon whose business with it was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the name of this man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. <laughs> he was a Calebite, or in slang, that's like he was, he was a dirty dog. <laughs> so David sets camp there, and he finds these shepherds out there, Nabal's shepherds out there, and as was his custom as he moved from place to place hiding from Saul, he, he didn't want to just be a man on the run. He, he always wanted to be of value to the people of Israel and to the things of God. And so everywhere he went, he, he tried to do just that, to, to be of some use to the people. So David ordered his men to watch over these shepherds. And this was a, a common practice in David's day. Oftentimes a militia or a group of of, of men would protect another uh, man's property while they're in the area. And it was pretty common to get a little bit of a kickback from the situation. And so when sheep shearing season came, David knew that it was common practice to have a, a party, a celebration. And so he sends some messengers to Nabal to receive this common payment for the protection that he provided to these shepherds. But he he made sure he did this with utmost respect and honor and to follow all of the standard procedures of culture that day. And he sent his men to say this in verse 6, Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did not harm them. And they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at your hand to your servants and to your son, David. A respectful request for an expected payment. Now, Nabal's response to David made everyone understand why his name was Nabal. You see, the name Nabal stands for or meant fool, godless fool. See, Nabal hears this request from David, and, and he chews them out and drives them out of his presence. And these men go back to David, and they report everything that Nabal had said to them. And, and you see, Nabal had not just turned down David's request. No, 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 no. He disrespected David. He said things like, who is this David, son of Jesse? And then he'd rub salt in David's wounds by implying that his situation on the run from Saul was his own fault for running away from his master, which couldn't be, the, which couldn't be further from the truth. David want, wanted nothing more than to faithfully serve Saul while he was king. Over and over again, Saul had misunderstood him and was jealous, and it forced David to be on the run. But Nabal had implied that David deserved this for, for disrespecting his master. <laughs> Needless to say, David was 
furious. This was the straw that broke the camel's back. It was one thing to constantly be on the run from Saul, to constantly be misunderstood by Saul and have his intentions misunderstood. But now this man was going to respect, disrespect him? Over and over again, David had tried so hard to not overstep his authority. He could have so easily taken the throne from Saul. Multiple times, Saul had been right there, and David could have killed him, but he withheld that. David never stole authority. No, 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 no. But this man's disrespect was the straw that broke the camel's back, and David was furious. He wanted blood, and he said in verse 13, every man strap on your swords. <laughs> David was angry. 400 of them gathered up their swords and began to march to kill the household of Nabal, leaving 200 men behind to watch the supplies. Meanwhile, back at Nabal's household, some of the servants who'd heard this interaction between David's messengers and Nabal came to Abigail, Nabal's wife. I suspect that in a household like this with this unruly man named Nabal, these servants had learned where they should turn to when their master got a little bit out of hand. They turned to his wife, and she gathered the respect of these servants enough for them to understand that she was the right person to go to in this situation. And they, they vouched for David and they recounted everything that had happened between her husband and David's messengers. And then they asked her, what should we do? What are you going to do? Well, Abigail, like her husband, had heard of David. Now, contrary to what Nabal had said, by implying that who is this David, son of Jesse, he knew that David, he knew David's father's name, and he knew the circumstance that David was in, and Abigail also had heard the legends of David. But more than that, she'd heard of God's hand in David's life, and she knew that this was a dangerous man, and she knew that God's hand was with David. So she acted quickly. In verse 18, it says, Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five sizes of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young man, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. By sending this gift on out ahead of her, it allowed her to send this gift with, in a more momentous way. It was a common practice often to greet a king or a ruler to send gifts out in waves so that these gifts would come um, with more and more momentum and significance. That's what she does. She treats David like the king that he will inevitably be one day. But she knew that Davis would, was dangerous, and she knew the folly of her husband was so great that she wanted to add some more humility and honor to this gift. And so she herself mounted a donkey, and with one of the waves of gifts, 
went out to meet David along the way, again to show further respect to him. And as he's marching, maybe, maybe right after he receives the first wave of gifts from Abigail, he's still angry and he says in verse 21, Surely in vain I've guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missing of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. And just as David's saying this, Abigail rides up on her donkey and she dismounts the donkey as a sign of respect. And then even further, she bows down before David as if he was a king already. And David's caught a little bit off guard. This beautiful woman with waves of gifts and these signs of respect and honor layered upon layered of honor. And he's caught off guard enough to hear her plea. And I'm guessing that Abigail had rehearsed her speech and her plea along the road to meet David because the way she pleads before him expresses an intimate knowledge of both David's circumstances, David's heart, and ultimately God's hand in David's life. She says in verse 25, Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Your servant did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord God lives and as your soul lives, because of the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt today and from saving with your own hand. Now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to you, my Lord, be as Nabal or fools. And now let this present that your servant has brought to you Give, be given to your young men who follow my Lord. And she goes on to continue to plead and make her case. I know that God's hand is in your life. I know that you are not evil. I know that God is on the move in you. And one day when you're king, don't forget my household. Don't kill us. And as she speaks, David's heart begins to soften because as she speaks, she reminds him of a value that he carried deeply inside of him as a follower of God. See, all along the way, David had tried his best to stay in step with the leading hand of God. He didn't want to overstep his, his bounds, and he didn't want to fall behind God. Instead, he was always waiting for God to elevate him to positions of authority over and over again. In fact, the story right before this one, David had had an opportunity to kill Saul and take the throne for himself, but he'd, he'd said, surely I won't lay my hand on God's anointed. No, no, no. He didn't want to be the kind of leader who rose to power by the, the, the tip of the sword. He wanted to be the kind of leader who was faithful and was elevated by the hand of God. He didn't want to be the kind of leader that stole respect and demanded authority but right now, he was about to do just that. And what he saw in this woman before him was a reminder of this value. And she'd saved him from breaking the pattern 
of humbly waiting on the hand and leading of God. <laughs> so David did something that most leaders wouldn't do. As she finished her speech, he began to praise the Lord. He praised God for her words that had slowed him down and corrected him and prevented him from taking the blood on his hands, prevented him from breaking this value of waiting on the hand of God, waiting on God's hand to elevate him. She pray, he praised the Lord. Now, David receives the gift from Abigail, and he promised to do, promises to do everything that she asks to remember her. And he sends her away in peace. Now, she gets back home, and that night her husband is drunk and feasting with his men, and so she waits to, to tell him everything that happens until the next day. But when she does... She recounts everything that had taken place and how they'd narrowly missed death at the hands of David and his fighting men. We don't know exactly what happened to Nabal, medically speaking, but whether he was so furious that she'd overstepped her authority or whether he was struck with fear by the fact that he'd almost lost his life if she hadn't taken action. We don't know, but the story tells us that he's struck stiff as a stone like a coma or a seizure of some sort. And after 10 days, he eventually dies. Word about his death makes its way back to David. And it's, it's at that point that David has confirmation from God that he'd made the right decision to listen to the voice of Abigail. Now, you see, David had lost Samuel in his life. Samuel, who represented the voice of God, but when he heard the words of Abigail and the confirmation that took place that David had been vindicated by the death of Nabal, he knew that God was still interested in leading him and guiding him as long as his heart was humble enough to hear. David learned that day, or maybe was just reminded that day, that God still wanted to lead him as long as he was humble enough to listen. Staying in step with God's plan requires a humility to hear his leading. Now, there's a fun little twist at the end of the story, and I want to share that with you in a moment. But before we get to that fun twist at the end of the story, I want to pause right here in this message, and I want to give you an opportunity to meditate on what this means for you and what it meant for David. I want you to, to enter into the heart of David what he's going through in this situation. See, God's guidance is strong for those who are humble enough to hear it. So Josh is going to play another song called Defender, and it's, it's a song that sort of postures itself as acknowledging that God is the one that makes our defense as long as we're continually focused in our worship and our intentions upon God. And so, as this song plays, I want you to just imagine that the, these words are being sung by David. Enter into his character and imagine what he's going through. And imagine this song is being sung by him. And as, as you're doing that, also ask yourself, Lord, am I humble? Am I ready and willing to hear your leading like David was? Let's listen. 
you go before I know that you've even gone to win my war you come back with the head of my enemy you come back and you call it my victory
Hallelujah, you have saved me. It's so much better your way. I love that line. <laughs> I love that line in that song because it's so true. And it reminds me of the, the large words of our vision statement that are out in the lobby of our church facility that says, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Our desire as a church community is to live in his way and with his heart. And it, it's because his way is so much better. His way is better. His timing is better. His vindication is better. His elevation of our, of our position is better than our own elevation of ourselves. <laughs> it's beautiful. Now I told you before the, before the song that there's this beautiful twist at the end of the story, and, and there is. You see, when Nabal died, it opened a door for David. You see, David had seen tremendous wisdom and beauty in this woman, Abigail. 
And when, when Samuel died, this representative of God's voice in his life, God's leading in his life, Abigail represented the reality that God was still going to communicate to him as long as he was humble enough to listen. And he saw God's wisdom and discernment all over that woman, and he wanted to make sure she was a lot closer to him. So he sends messengers to her, asking for her hand in marriage. <laughs> and she, again, seeing the hand of God in David's life, agreed. Now that day, she swept up into the story of God's work in the world. David would become king. And eventually down the road, it would be from David's lineage that the Messiah would come. You see, the reason we're reading this story today is because Abigail had the ability to see where God was on the move and to step into the stream of that movement. She had the humility to acknowledge the mistake of her own household, her own husband, and to step into the move of God in David's life. You see, she knew you can't fight God's inevitable plan, so you just got to align with God's inevitable hand. So how do we know what to do with this in our lives? What's this story have to do with us today? Well, as with all scripture, especially now in narrative, the, the narrator is giving us hints along the way. Unlike maybe some of the letters in the New Testament that are a little bit more pointed in their, their actions to us and, and their statements of what we're supposed to be doing, narrative's a little bit different in the way it approaches teaching. Instead, in narrative, we're looking for plot and character and setting and emotion and rising action and conclusion and resolution. But all along in this story, the, the story, the narrator is giving us hints about what he's trying to portray for us. And I want to just go briefly back through our story and show you some of the hints that the author of 1 Samuel gives us. First, and this is true of any genre of Scripture, our aim when we approach the Scripture text, whatever genre it is, is to figure out what the original author intended to communicate to the original audience. That's always step one of interpretation in the Scriptures. What did the original author intend to communicate to the original audience? So we got to get ourselves into who wrote this and why did they write this and asking all those sorts of questions. And in narrative, it's no different. The narrator of, uh, the author of 1 Samuel has an agenda, a God-driven agenda, but agenda nonetheless. And as we enter into the meta-narrative, the overarching story of the book of 1 Samuel, we get a ton of insights into why each story existed in that overarching story. And that's actually where I found the majority of our interpretive ideas in this story. You see, the story right before this text is a story about David sparing the life of Saul. They're in a cave. David's inches away. Saul is relieving himself, and he has no idea. And David could have taken the throne right at that moment, but he was unwilling to because of this value that he had of waiting on God's leading, waiting on God's timing. And then interestingly enough, the story immediately following our text, our chapter in chapter 25, is a story where David spares Saul's life again. 
And then there's this strange story of Nabal and Abigail right in between, sandwiched in between these two stories of David sparing the life of Saul. And so I have to ask myself, and what we're supposed to be doing as scripture readers is asking ourselves, why is this story here? What's the narrator trying to say right now in, in, in light of the flow of the overall book? Well, David almost broke the pattern in this story over and over again throughout the book of 1 Samuel. One of the things that made David a man after God's own heart, that one of the things that made him the one that God anointed to be the future ruler of Israel was the fact that he was humbly willing to wait on the hand of God. He wasn't going to elevate himself. No, 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 no. He was going to wait for the leading of God. But in this story, he almost broke that pattern, but he's saved by the wisdom of Abigail. It's one of the hints that the narrative gives us. Now notice also in Abigail's speech, in verse 26, the second part there, it says this, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. Or again, remember, the name Nabal means fool. <laughs> Interestingly, in the next chapter, David spares Saul's life again, one of David's enemies, like her speech says. And then when he finds out that his life's been spared, Saul says, I've been acting like a fool. It's almost like Abigail's prophetically stating what's about to happen. Because David wisely stays his hand on the family of Nabal, God vindicates him in the presence of both Nabal and of Saul. Now, another clue that the author gives us is these names. You see, over and over again, we're given the meaning of Nabal's name. It means godless fool. And there's this contrast taking place between Nabal's response to David and Abigail's response to David. Nabal means godless fool. It sort of carries this idea that the reason he's a fool is because he's unwilling to acknowledge the hand of God. <laughs> but Abigail's name means father's joy. And her actions demonstrate that she has this intuition, this sensitivity to the hand and leading of God. And she sees God's hand all over David's life. And instead of fighting against it, instead of pushing against it like her husband, she, she acts as this contrasting character in the narrative. And she steps into the flow of God's inevitable plan for Israel, for her, and for David. It's because of that that the narrator is sort of hinting at us that this is what it looks like to stay in step with God's plan. A humble heart willing to acknowledge that maybe God is on the move over here and to step into that flow. What we learn from the story for us is that humility tunes the heart to God's leading. It takes God is actively trying to lead. God's hand and guidance is strong for those who are humble enough to listen. And notice Abigail's response is humble, both to acknowledge that God's hand is on David, not on Nabal, but then she also speaks to David with humility and respect. God's hand is just 
all over those who are humble. There's a passage in the New Testament that says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's what's going on in this text. Humility tunes the heart to God's leading. So what about you? What areas in your life are you longing for the guiding hand of God? Have you ever asked yourself, why doesn't God seem to, to come in and speak up a little bit more? Well, let me challenge you. Are you, is your heart postured humbly enough to be sensitive to the leading of God? See, God's leading in this passage comes from an unexpected place. It's not from Samuel who's just died. No, no, no. It's from this woman. A woman who in that culture would have been less respectable. And it's from her. <laughs> the wife of David's enemy, Nabal. And David has the sensitivity and the humility of heart to see that God's wisdom is all over her. And she has the wisdom, the humility, and the sensitivity to God's hand to step out and to advocate for her family. So we need to do the same. We need to humbly step in to God's leading. And I don't know what that means for you. I don't know if you've had something in your life, a job situation, a financial situation, a relational challenge, and you just want God's leading and God's guiding hand, maybe you just need to pause right now and ask yourself, Lord, are you trying to lead me? And somewhere in my heart, there's a, a, a prideful resistance to your guiding hand. It might come from some unexpected place. It might come at an unexpected pace. But a humble heart is tuned in to the leading of God. Wherever you are this morning or listening after the fact, I just want to lead you through a prayer to give you a moment to actually ask those questions about yourself. Is your heart humble and sensitive to the leading and guiding hand of God? So I want to lead you through a prayer in Psalm 139. It's this prayer that seeks God's heart and asks God to tune us in. I'm going to lead you through this prayer slowly, and I just want you to, to pray it with me. Genuinely ask these questions of God. Ask Him to point out those points of hard-heartedness, of pride in you that is preventing you from hearing His guiding hand. Psalm 139, verse 23 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. It's a scary prayer. It's, a, it's an exposed prayer. It's a vulnerable prayer. Lord, search me. Point out in me, where, where are those places that I've grown hard-hearted to your voice, to your leading, to your guiding? Search me and know me. Know my heart. Try me, God, try me and know my thoughts. And some translations said, know my anxious thoughts. 
Lord, help me to see where my, my thoughts and my decisions and my actions are being jaded by fear, by anxiety, by confusion, by doubt, by sin. Search me and know me and try my anxious thoughts. Help me see what you see so that I can be softened. Help me to see it. Lord, verse 24, and see if there be any grievous way in me. This is a vulnerable prayer. Expose your heart in the presence of God. Ask Him to show you what are the barriers in your heart that are preventing you from hearing His guiding hand and His guiding voice. And then make this your prayer to this week. And lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me, God. Lead me in the way everlasting. What a prayer. Humility tunes the heart to God's leading. Let's pray. Father, this morning, this week, this month, this year, would you work in the hearts and the lives of this church community. And for those who, who maybe just tuned into this, who yet to even acknowledge you as Lord, Lord, would you humble their hearts so that they can hear your voice? But Lord, make us a church community and make everyone who's listening to this soften all of our hearts so that we can hear your voice voice and respond to your guiding hand because your way is better. Your timing is better. Your vindication is better. And the authority that you give to your people by your hand is better than any authority that can be acquired by our own efforts and strengths. Help us, we pray. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, South. We are the Sugar. I love that, Aaron. So good. So good. I love um, humility tunes the heart to God's leading. Some really good comments today uh, from people. Um, someone said, thank you, Aaron, for the message. Someone else said, so much better when we allow God to move in our circumstances. I love seeing the interaction in the chat. Over on YouTube, uh, we had a comment today from... Uh, Sherlock Holmes. And Sherlock Holmes said, this is probably the best thing I have ever watched. So there you have it. Um, What more do you need? Um, Awesome. I hope that you take the talks each week of this series where we're we're talking about these characters and you look through it through the lens of how is God speaking to you? How is God writing your story and pulling you along? Uh, I want to say thanks, especially to those of you who are here in our student center. Uh, it's awesome that you're here today, together today. If you want to join us next Sunday live, you certainly can do that. There's a link coming into the chat box right now on all platforms to register. We just need you to tell us you're coming so we can make sure we have seats and, and a, a safe comfortable environment. And we hope to be live, uh, live, live, live band, live preacher in two weeks, August 
second. So make sure to sign up to get a spot to be here. Um, Also, just want to say thank you for your generous and consistent giving. Uh, God has just continued to bless us. And it's just amazing to see how God is doing that. So if you want to give, you can give. Actually, if you're on campus, there's a giving box by every door. You can also give through the South Fellowship app, or you can go to southfellowship.org slash give. And your support helps us to do gatherings like this, to support uh, 25 or so missionaries around the world to impact our city and beyond. And God is using you. So let me just say thank you for giving. All right. I know uh, we told you last week that we were going to have an update today a really important update about our search process. And I know I told you at the beginning of this gathering that we were going to be sharing a very exciting update. And I thought about telling you that we're gonna wait until next week, but I'm, I'm not gonna be mean this week and do that. We do have a very special update this morning. And uh, I wanna invite you to watch as Tom Walker, our lead elder, has a conversation with Rich Obrecht and Kara Wynn, who were the co-leads of our amazing search team. We've had a team of 11 who've worked for months and months and months, sorting through 216 plus applicants. And uh, yeah, I think now it's time for a really big update, and then I'll come back and close the gathering. So let's, let's uh, go to our search team update. Hey, South Fellowship. Uh, glad you could uh, join us this morning. Uh, as you heard last week, uh, Larry gave you the big tease about uh, the announcement this week, and uh, that wasn't very nice of him, but we're going to forgive him and move on. But uh, hey, we just wanted to... Um, uh, come to you this morning. Uh, I've got uh, Rich Obrecht and Kara Wynn with me this morning, and we're going to talk about uh, the search team a little bit. They're going to, and just just um, just hear about what God has done uh, with South Fellowship and uh, the search for this lead pastor over the last uh, 12 months. So, um, Rich, we were talking earlier just about mm-hmm. uh, you know what it's what has been like for the search team. So, you just share some of those things. Uh, you experienced over the last 12 months? Sure. For me, it was, uh, it was a great um, demonstration of the community of Christ. And the people that we had in the team were very um, much like what the body itself feels like. Mm. And we had a strata of people in the group that were uh, very reflective of the community here. Mm. Um, I really enjoyed the worship together and the prayer time and becoming a community, uh, like, a, like a life group almost. As a matter of fact, one of the members of our team mentioned that this was better than their life group. So that was encouraging <laughs> to me. Um, we got along amazingly well. Yeah. Um, you would think with 11, started with 12, we ended up with 11. Yeah. Uh, there'd be some, some kind of discord, but there really wasn't. Yeah. Uh, even in our arguing over, and I use that in the classic sense, arguing over candidates, uh, it was, Loving. It mm. was all out of a heart of love. Mm. Uh, the worshiping together, the praying together, just sharing our lives together. It was, it was a great time for mm. me. Mm. It was beautiful to watch. Yeah. And uh, we arrived at the candidate that's, that you, somebody's going to announce, uh, despite ourselves, it seems. So <laughs> it was good. Very good. Thank you. Kara, what would you add to that? Um, I just, I agree. I loved, loved being on this team. Um, It means so much to me. I miss meeting as a team. Mm. Um, Just really love these guys so much. Mm. Um, So it was just an incredible time of growing together. And we really prayed from the start that the spirit would lead it, um, that we would not Mm. get in the way, that we would keep our hands open and Mm. really let the spirit guide. And I think we learned as we went how difficult (laughs) that is um, for 
11 humans to get together and really have their hands open. Sure. Um, but we really, we just kept praying and we prayed a ton and at times when we couldn't come to a decision, we'd back off and pray. Mm. Um, sometimes it was fasting and praying and then come back mm. together. Mm. Um, and I just, I loved seeing God's faithfulness. Yeah. I mean, every, every turn we just could reflect and see how God had been faithful in so many ways. Yeah. Um, sometimes through us, sometimes in spite of us. Mm -hmm. um, even in conversations of things we would have done differently looking back, mm -hmm. um, we just see God's faithfulness transcend the whole process. And um, yeah. I love seeing that. We've mm -hmm. seen his faithfulness to South along the way for mm -hmm. years, and we just anticipate seeing it in the future That's and right. with this new lead pastor who we're excited about. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I know, um, you know, interacting with the search team and uh, hearing uh, you guys go through the process. The elders were praying a ton for you guys. And then when you passed the baton, it, it's, it's 90 days ago today um, that, uh, that you passed the baton uh, with, uh, with the final selection of candidates. And that has a story in and of itself, and we'll share that uh, later. Uh, it's amazing how God mm -hmm. worked in that process. But we took a page out of the search team's book uh, for the elders, and that was to for every meeting, whether it was a business meeting or you know candidate-related meeting or church business meeting, um, prayer meeting, uh, we always decided we're going to worship and pray every meeting. And not that we don't pray every meeting, but sometimes it would be just a business, you know, okay, let's pray and get to business. But we've spent a, a lot more time uh, as a group of guys just really entering into God's presence mm -hmm. and really seeking Him, and that prepared us so much better for the final process of looking through the final candidates that you guys put forth and uh, helping to make that decision. The cool thing was is that God brought us a ton of unity around uh, our final choice. <laughs> and uh, so you're gonna hear today, Sal, uh, who that is. Uh, in fact, I, I think I'm gonna let these guys tell you because um, really you guys did so much of the heavy lifting. With that, um, we, we've looked back and now we begin a new chapter uh, in the book of South Fellowship. So. I'll let you guys. I'll let you guys share his name, and then we're going to see a video uh, introducing uh, him and his family. So, with that, go ahead, Kara. Okay. So we are excited to welcome Alex Walton mm -hmm. as our new lead pastor, along with his wife Laura and mm -hmm. their three adorable kiddos, who mm -hmm. you will see in this video. Yeah. All right. Thanks, South. Thanks, Thanks South. <laughs> Doubt it, pal. <laughs> okay, is everybody ready? Yes. We gotta make a good impression, people. Good morning, South. <laughs> good morning, South Fellowship. We're so excited to come join you in September. We're the Walton family. Uh, we wanted to give you a somewhat real look into what our house looks like, and then we decided no, it was too soon for that. So we all dressed up really nice and did our hair and all those things. Uh, so my name is Alex. I'm so excited to be the next lead pastor of South Fellowship. We've just had such a great time getting to know just the church, the, yeah, the, the vision, the idea of living in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus, the values that make South uh, who it is, a, is a, as a community. Uh, and so it's just been a joy to work through that process. And now the decision is made, even if you see too much of the real us during this video, well, it's too late to change your minds now. You're stuck with us. Uh, so, Laura. I'm Laura, and this is Jude. Jude is two and a half. Hello, my name's Elena. This is Bowie. I love drawing, going in the pool. I love 
Gigi and there's Miranda and I love Maven and I love her clothes and I love going swimming. I love it. And this is Mabel down here. Uh, she's a dog that we borrowed uh, just to look more quintessentially American for you so that you don't worry too much about the British accent. Uh, we uh, are so excited to come join you in just a little while. <laughs> and uh, have a wonderful Sunday. We're excited to see you soon. Bye. 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 <laughs> we did three takes and that was the best <laughs> one. <laughs> South Fellowship, uh, glad you could uh, join. Oh, I'm so excited. Welcome Alex Walton to the team. You know, I love Alex. You're going to love Alex too, his wife Laura and their adorable three kiddos. Uh, we've had a good chance to get to know the family over the last several weeks. And um, months ago, I asked one of the search team members, how are you feeling about the candidates? And he said, oh, we're feeling awesome. He said, there's one in particular that keeps coming back to me. And he said, he, he sounds a little different than people are gonna expect. And he maybe looks a little bit different than people expect, but he's the real deal. and would be a great lead pastor for South. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Well, fast forward several months. And after we hired Alex, I said, is this the guy you were talking about? And he said, yes, it was. Alex is a great communicator. One of the things I love about Alex is that he has such a heart for seasoned Christians as well as unchurched people, people far from God. And we've had good conversations about continuing our journey toward targeted transformation and outreach as well as spiritual formation, and he's excited to speak into those. Alex is a great communicator. He's a lot of fun. Uh, he is a great visionary and vision caster. So he's going to be a fantastic pastor for South Fellowship. Our elder board was unanimous in this decision. We were excited to call him and, and extend an offer to become our next lead pastor. He's going to be in and out in August, a little bit here and there, um, doing some online meetings and some of those sorts of things. And then in September, he, Laura, and the kiddos are going to be moving here, and he'll be starting formally as the lead pastor in September. And I'm super excited because that means I get to scratch interim pastor off of my title and go back to just to just being executive pastor. And uh, I think it's gonna be awesome. So one thing I do wanna say is as we start praying, I know that we have so many prayer warriors in our church who pray and you're praying for Alex and Laura and their kids. Please continue to do that. Transition is always hard. But I also want to call us to prayer for his church. Alex is uh, an Englishman who moved to the States a number of years ago. He and Laura actually just celebrated their 11th wedding anniversary, I think, yesterday. Um, but for the last couple of years, they've been living in New York. And there's a community there, a really great church called One Church. And I want to make sure that as we welcome Alex with open arms, that we're also praying over that church, that we're praying for them as they shift to interim leadership and look forward to their long-term future. We know that God has something really great for them. And um, Alex shared with them today that he's gonna be coming and joining us. So would you continue to pray, not only for South Fellowship, not only for Alex, Laura, and their kids, but also for one church in New York, that God would continue to bless them, that God would continue to be faithful to that church. Let's do our part in welcoming him well by praying for his church as well. Um, uh, one last thing I just want to tell you. There's, there's sweet news that we have a new pastor. And as you know, the cycle of a church life sort of moves. And we're moving into a new, se new season. Two people who are dear to the heart of this church, long-term members of this church, two people who have invested a lot of energy and time into this church passed away in the last couple of 
uh, weeks, and they had a transition of their own, going to be with Jesus, to be absent from the body, is present with the Lord, and that's what's happened for them. One of them is Maria Duncan. Maria is a sweet woman um, who passed away a couple of weeks ago. Maria was really involved in this church for years and years. She helped start the Watchman Prayer Ministry. She used to sit uh, with a table in the lobby with a sign that said, how can I pray for you? She had a home, actually, that I got to stay in a couple of times that had, a, had an apartment on the bottom in the basement, and she let missionaries and ministers and other people in need stay in that for years and years and years. So um, Maria's had a homecoming, gone to be with Jesus. And then Bill Dale, many of you know Bill. Bill has been around this church for years and years and years. Bill was a part of the team that helped to get the campus that I'm standing in right now. This whole strip mall, Bill is a part of the team that helped to do that. Very smart guy, very strategic thinker, and brought lots of value to this church um, and loved Jesus. And he went to be with the Lord recently as well. So let's remember them and their prayers. And we want to share that with you because they're important people in the life of this church. So we say goodbye to some and we say hello to some new family and some new life. And that's just part of God doing what God does, being faithful and loving this church well. We're excited. Welcome, Alex Walton. Welcome, Laura. Welcome, kiddos. We're excited to see you. Let's keep praying together. Uh, last thing, if you want to, right after this, we have Zoom rooms, which is just a link in the chat you can click. And there are people in there that would love to just talk. And we talk and pray and process life and all those sorts of things. And it's a great way to follow up with the sermon and with the conversations today that we've had. Thanks again for joining us online. It's been our pleasure to host. We're really excited to continue to gather together on Sundays. We love you, South. Have a great week. We'll see you.